everyone. Hope y'all are doing well. Sorry to disrupt your fellowship, but it is time to begin. Um, John Kinzer is not with us today. He is uh, he has a kidney stone, uh, so please pray for him. He is in some discomfort uh, for sure. Uh, we'll pray for him in just a moment. Um, uh, uh, today we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 14. This is a story I imagine many of you know very well. Uh, the story when Mary pours the perfume on Jesus' feet. Uh, the disciples get very upset with her for doing this, but what is Jesus commends her for what she has done and says basically this story of what she has done is going to continue on throughout the generations. It's a, he says a very kind thing to her. Um, why was this such a big deal <laughs> is one of the things I want us to consider. Let me pray for us, and, and I'll read uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we come to you today. We thank you for this chance for us to be together, for us to fellowship with one another. Lord, would you be with us now as we open your word? Would you um, uh, reveal the truths of it to us? Would you make us realize just how, uh, just what great worth you have, that we would find great worth in you and realizing that being a Christian, living this Christian life is going to cost us something, uh, but there's a great reward that awaits us. Uh, we ask that you would be with John. Would you comfort him? Uh, with his, this kidney stone, would you take this from him quickly and help him to recover and be back with us? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table, and a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. I imagine I was just like many of your children, or maybe how you were when you were young. You gave silly little gifts to your mother. Uh, And I call them silly because uh, there was really no monetary value to them. You might have made a little project, an art project in class. But when you gave this to your mother, she beamed with pride because it was from you. When I was, I think I was six or seven years old, the teacher in the class that I had we made a thumbprint. We put it on a sheet of paper, and we were tasked with drawing a picture around this thumbprint. So at six or seven years old, my aspirations of being a professional basketball player were still very real to me. Uh, they would quickly fade. But So what I did, as I did with everything, I turned it into something basketball-related. So I drew a picture of Michael Jordan, the famous basketball player. Uh, Love you, Mom. Here's Michael Jordan. Uh, and she thought this was just so sweet and wonderful. I went to my home that I grew up in over Christmas last year, and that little thumbprint picture is still on the refrigerator at my home. 
And I said, and I, so I asked, Mom, why is this up here? This silly little thing that I made for you about 27 years ago, why? And my sister is right next to it. Why do you still have this? And my mom looked at me as sincere as she could be with tears welling up in her eyes as I had just mocked the fact that she had this on her refrigerator. And she said, Andy, this is so you. Every time I see this, this is you. This is the little boy that I remember raising in this home and and, and so forth and so on. No, there was no value to this silly little gift, but it meant so much to her because I had given it to her. She loves me and she knew the heart behind the gift. By comparison, the woman in this story has given a very expensive, a very costly gift. But it's not the, the monetary value which is what's so meaningful of Jesus, meaningful to Jesus. She, he knows the heart behind the gift. He knows where this is coming from. He knows that this was very costly to her, and it's preparing him. She seems to get what nobody else in the room gets. He's going to the cross. Nobody else sees it, but she does. Beginning here in Mark chapter 14, we're really in two chapters where everything is pointing us towards the cross, and that's what this woman has set up uh, in the story. You see, the chief priests and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they're forming a plot to kill Jesus. These Bible scholars and teachers, the one that everybody looked up to, the one that should have realized this is the Messiah that we've been looking for and hoping for, but they don't get it. This isn't some thugs that are trying to that are out to get Jesus. These are the Bible teachers in the community that are that are looking to kill Jesus. They're not excited about him. They don't care about what he is doing. They just want to kill him. And they bring in one of Jesus's closest friends into this plot. All those who seemingly should have known better don't. And this woman who had no reason to know better, she does know better than to treat Jesus this way. You see Jesus's death on the cross is of infinite worth infinite worth. What are we doing to show that we really understand that and we believe it? How much worth do you place on Jesus in your life? How much value do you find in him? She finds great value in him because of this great and extravagant gift that she gives to him. How much value do you find in him? This cost her a lot. What is your walk with Jesus costing you? Is it costing you anything? Maybe a little time, maybe a little effort here and there. Is it really costly to you? First point I want us to see from these verses, these verses is verses 3 through 5, which is the wasting of perfume and the worth of the Savior. Simon the leper is hosting this dinner party. Now, we assume it's Simon who used to be the leper. He's probably not Simon currently the leper. He wouldn't have a dinner party. So he has all these friends and family over. Mary walks in. The passage doesn't tell us it's Mary, but it, John chapter 12, it tells us. not Mary, Jesus' mother. But she has in her hand this alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It says of pure nard. Now, here's what this is. Maybe you knew this. Pure nard is dried root leaves of a plant that's found in the Himalayan mountains. How about that? Uh, just a little FYI. It's very expensive. Okay? She breaks the jar, so she intends to use all of it. She's not just dabbing a little bit onto Jesus' head. She pours all of it onto his head. And everybody's upset about it. How could she do this? Don't she, doesn't she know this could be sold and help so many people? Why would she do something so foolish? <laughs> the disciples are angry. Okay? So many people, the poor could have been helped. Imagine the meals we could have given and so forth and so on. According to John chapter 12, verse 5, it's Judas who offers the strongest objection. He says, this ointment, it could have been sold for 300 denarii. 
a very large sum of money at that time. <laughs> Judas is offering a, a plausible objection, right? That, that's, that's true. It could have been sold and used for a different purpose. A denarii, as many of you probably know, is the equivalent to one day's wages. Okay, so this is 300 days' wages. All right? The average household income in the United States is about $50,000. The average household income in the world is about $18,000. Now let's split the difference. That means by today's standards, roughly, approximately, this jar of perfume cost about $30,000. This is why everybody was so shocked. This wasn't just this little something that you can pick up at, at, uh, at a department store. This was a huge, extravagant gift. Most commentators believe that this was probably a family heirloom of this woman's, or it might even be her life savings account. It was tied up into this jar of perfume. Judas is the one that speaks the strongest. But in John, John chapter 12, it says that Judas said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, Judas didn't care about helping the poor. <laughs> he was upset that the 30000 didn't go into the treasury bag, and he didn't get a chance to just take a little bit for himself. He didn't care about the poor at all. <clears throat> Judas, this man who had been in the presence of Jesus for three years, he'd seen the miracles, he'd seen the tenderness and authority, he'd seen the power and the mercy, but yet he's going to be bought off for 30 pieces of silver. What is Mary communicating with this gift? Yes, it's lavish and extravagant, as we've said. She's showing, Jesus, you're of infinite value, not infinite value, you're of great value to me. You mean a lot to me, says this woman. She didn't care what everybody else thought. I see great value and worth in you, and I'm going to show you by doing this for you. We're unsure exactly what Mary knows of Jesus, but... It is the same Mary that's in Luke chapter 10 that it says that she studied at Jesus' feet. So perhaps she does know that she's preparing him to go to the cross and the significance of it. She's showing, I love you, and I want to show you how much I love you. And that's what she's doing. Yes, it was costly to her, but after all, aren't relationships costly? Any relationship you have, it's to varying degrees, but relationships cost us something. Imagine, think of your own you're married, the marriage relationship. It's costly. When you're single, there's things that you can do. When you're married, you, you've got to now take someone else's opinion, someone else's emotions into consideration when you make decisions. I know for my wife, Lauren, and me, when I got married, I realized that she and I had two very different definitions of the word clean. Hers is a bit stricter than mine. We, if I, cl I clean the kitchen and then she comes back and cleans the kitchen, right? It's, it just looks different. We have different ideas of what a good television show is. We have different ideas of any number of things. We have our own silly quirks that some are endearing and some drive the other crazy, right? It, you just, it's costly. You have, to realize, you have to figure out how to live with one another. You have, I have sinful baggage that impacts her. She has sinful baggage that impacts me. If you have kids, I don't, I don't, there's no explanation necessary. You know this is a costly relationship, okay? But it's worth it because you love them. You love your kids. Lord willing, you love your spouse. It's something that is costly. But to have someone in your life that knows of this awful stuff about you, this sinful baggage, these quirks, and they love you anyway, that's a wonderful thing. Jesus is the same way. He knows everything about you. He knows the depths of your sin 
the stuff that you think about that you can't believe that goes through your mind, the stuff that you think about when you're laying in bed at night. He knows that about you, and he loves you, and he finds a great worth in you anyway. Following and worshiping Jesus is costly, but it's completely worth it. So what is it costing you? Is it costing you anything? Is it costing you your money? Is it costing you your time? Is it costing you, well, I can't do all those fun things that I'd like to because I need to be out doing ministry and loving people and visiting them. What is it costing you? I can't answer the question for you. You've got to answer it for yourself. What is it costing you? Are you always making excuses? I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I have other things I need to get done. We understand that. But the world is also telling us all the time that have your Christianity, just don't be crazy about it. Follow Jesus all you want, but don't go weird. Our world says be extravagant, indulge, get all the wealth and power and success and influence and sex that you can. But when it comes to religion, whoa, let's have some moderation. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. It, overindulge, get all you want of this stuff, but not your religion. Have that in moderation. This woman is going over the top with her sacrifice and the cost. What about you? Number two, the words of the disciples and the worth of the Savior. We've already seen the harsh words of the disciples. They continue on. They can't believe what she has done. But it's a very admirable thing, says Jesus. You know, this really is a humiliating scene for Mary. <laughs> We, it, most commentators believe she wasn't invited to this party, so she comes in unannounced. She does something great for Jesus. Jesus commends her, and now everybody that's there starts heaping their scorn on top of her. She's done something great, but they don't see it that way. But what are the disciples saying? You shouldn't have done this. We could have given this money to the poor. But what, by implication, what are they saying? Woman, you shouldn't have done this. Jesus, you aren't worth something like this. Isn't that what they're implying? That he's not worthy of such a huge and extravagant gift. In a moment, Jesus will openly rebuke his disciples. He's really just echoing what he said back in chapter 12, that to love God is the most important thing. He's not saying, don't worry about the poor anymore, just worry about me. He's, he's ordering the priorities. I'm most important. I'm not going to be here much longer, so love me, worship me. Not to be too melodramatic about this, but um, we just had a, our second child three weeks ago. We had our second boy. Uh, Miles is his name, and uh, we're tired, but we're making it. Um, as, I, as I sit at night, I'll be rocking Miles, and I do my best to... to it's, it's usually the time, I think, to pray for him and to pray for our other son, Nathan. I think about our world. Goodness, as I'm sitting at lunch, I'm, I'm getting news alerts of this gunman in Virginia and, and all, that's, all that's happened, really, especially in these last videos that are coming out, Supreme Court rulings. What I, fear, what I feel myself continuing, continually desiring to pray for my sons is the need for courage. Lord, would you give them courage? Would you give us courage? Would you give this church courage? Would you give the courage that we need for the days to come? Uh, because they seem very daunting and difficult, but we know the Lord's in control and he, uh, he will order all things to, to his kind and perfect will. 
I just I feel the continual need to pray that they, my boys would have courage, that we as a church would have courage. You see Christians murdered around the world. You see this secular religion that seems to have won the day in our culture. We need courage, courage to stand up, courage to continue to fight certain social issues. It's a time in our land. Of course, Christians have needed courage for, in all ages, but it seems that we need it particularly now. So we, have, we need this courage to stand up to the things that I mentioned, but don't we also need courage to stand up against complacency, a desire for easy and moderate Christianity, and to really and truly live sacrificial lives to God, as this woman is modeling for us in this story. This is what Macon needs. It doesn't need us, it, this town does not need us just to be happy in a comfortable Christianity where everything's fine and nothing costs us any, anything, where we actually go and meet people, we share the gospel with people, we give our resources for this town, something that actually costs us something. I'm, I'm continually saying that really to drive the point home. Is it costing you anything? Is it costing me anything? Maybe that we'd be a church that this town would look at and just kind of, there's something different going on there. They really love each other. They really seem to love us as a town. What's going on? I want to know more about that. Mary is anointing Jesus with perfume, not to be praised, not to be adored. (laughs) She doesn't seem to have any care at all for what everyone else thinks. She's just, Jesus, I love you and I want to show you. But lastly, our worship and the worth of, the, of our Savior. Jesus now interjects into the conversation. He te- Look, everybody just leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. You're always going to have the poor, and you can help them whenever you can, but I'm not always going to be here. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. <clears throat> Why does Jesus seem to have a problem with this? You know, he, as I've said, it's not that he's now showing an un, he's now unconcerned for the poor. That's not the point. The focus of this event is not the poor. The focus of this event is Jesus and what this woman has done for her. He's anointing him to go to the cross. Nobody gets it. <laughs> Nobody gets it up until the time that it happens. And, and when it does happen, they think everything's nothing has happened the way that it's supposed to have happened. Jesus is about to do the most important thing that's ever been done. She understands it. Nobody else understands it in that room. He's going to the cross to pay the penalty for sin that no one in that room could pay, that no one in this room could pay for. The gesture gesture done by this woman has clearly made an impression on Jesus. She has done a beautiful thing to me, he says. It seems as though Mary was only thinking of Jesus when she did this, and it was done out of true love for him. And so Jesus closes by declaring that the story of Mary will be told wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Okay? So wherever the gospel is preached, there too will be told of the loving deeds of Mary. That's, that's quite a statement there, right? Wherever the gospel is preached, they're going to tell this story of what Mary did to Jesus on this day. That's, I can't think of another story where, where that little line is said about it. This, this is clearly, in Jesus' mind, extremely significant what she's doing. So let's not miss exactly what's going on here. Mary has wasted perfume in the eyes of everyone that's there, but in doing so, she prepares Jesus to go to the cross and prepares his body for burial. Why is this story so significant? 
She has spent a lavish and expensive gift on Jesus, not in order to get anything from him, but to just show him that he loves her, that, he lo- that she loves him. She gives this expensive gift to Jesus not to get anything back from him, but just to show him, Jesus, I love you. I love you. Here's my devotion and here's my worship. How many of us could confess that often our obedience to God is so that he'll give something back to us? Jesus, I need something from you. Don't you see how good I've been the last few days? Don't you see how nice I've been to my coworkers or to my kids? We think or we hope that the obedience that we give is somehow a barter system that we have with God. We barter for his blessing. This woman wants nothing of that. She gives this gift because she loves him. It's clear that the disciples were concerned with outward appearances. Jesus, as always, has no concern for that. He looks to the woman's heart and sees her motives. She also appears to be the first person in Mark's gospel who truly grasps what Jesus is about to do. So it's impossible. Why is this story so significant? It's impossible to talk about the gospel without talking about the death of Christ. That's what I think Jesus means when he adds that line, that wherever the gospel is preached, this story is going to be told. Because it's her preparing his body to go to the cross and then to die. Because we, there is no good news without telling everyone that there's sin and the, and the wages of sin is death and separation from God. You've got to talk about his death. You've got to talk about that he went to the grave, that he truly was buried, and that he rose from the dead. That's, that has to be a part of the gospel message. Old Testament believers constantly look back to the Exodus and then forward to Christ. Us as New Testament believers and beyond, we look back to the cross, the true liberation for us, the liberation from sin. Yes, Jesus is about to do the most important thing that has ever been done, and Jesus commends Mary because she understands it and nobody else does. She has done something costly. She has done something sacrificial. What about you? What about you? What does your love and devotion to Christ look like? And are you doing it just because you love him? Or are you doing it because you hope you're going to get something back from him? Will he give you something back in return if you offer your faith and devotion to him? Of course, but that's not your motivation. Your motivation is you see the surpassing worth of who Christ is and what he has done. Paul puts this perfectly in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I have, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of, this, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection." and may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you think of it that way? The surpassing worth, the inestimable worth, the the great worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Do you think about that? When you wake up in the morning and you have your Bible and your coffee in front of you, 
I'm reading of the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. I'm reading about what he did. I'm reading about the prophecies about him. I'm reading about, maybe you're reading a biography. I'm reading how people committed their life for him. The, the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, my Lord. And this woman was showing that with this gift that she gave him. What is the Christian life costing you? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts and minds that are ready to, to live a costly discipleship. That looks different for different people. It looks different for different Christians in different parts of the world. We understand that. Lord, how are you ca- calling us to live sacrificially for you? To Not to just live comfortably, but to show our love and devotion for you, however that looks. Would you show us what that means for us? And, Lord, that we would truly regard knowing you, knowing your son Jesus Christ as as of surpassing worth, of great worth. (laughs) That any time spent with you, praying to you, reading your word is of great benefit to us because it draws us near to you. Lord, would you teach us? Would you give us your grace and mercy every day, we pray? And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.